Uh, I, I want to uh, say a word of thanks to everybody who helped and, and filled, out, filled in for me while I had a couple weeks off. Uh, if you don't know, my baby Nora uh, was born on November 20th, and now I know what it is to be the fourth most popular member of the family. Um, I, was, I was previously third, but now I've, I've fallen um, one. And uh, Manny and Nora were, were planning on, on being here today, but uh, Carter had a cold, and now Nora has a cold. It's like the saddest thing to see a two-week-old with a smoker's cough. So um, she... She is uh, getting getting a little bit better, but uh, please please pray. And I just appreciate um, the support. Uh, people have been providing us meals and prayers, and thanks. So we just we deeply, from from our bottom of our heart, really say thank you. And hopefully, Mandy will be here uh, with Nora um, next week. And uh, we are adjusting to life as a family of four, which is pretty crazy. A special word of thanks I want to give um, to Lars, who helped to coordinate over these last couple of weeks our worship services, and then Justin and Lars um, for what they did last week. Uh, several people told me, I actually learned something during the sermon. So I'm like, well, what about me? <laughs> uh, so thanks. But um, no, I, I got to listen to um, what Justin and Lars did last week, and it was, it was wonderful, and I, I learned some things myself. So thank you um, for, for doing that. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Christmas Cards. And I uh, was just inspired thinking through this about the fact that this is one of the only times of year when I actually enjoy going to my mailbox, uh, because especially my generation, we don't really send each other anything ever, basically. I know that kind of extends on. One of the things I appreciate about some of the senior saints of our congregation is they'll send me things from time to time, which I like to, to read, because mostly I get bills or things like that. But during the Christmas season, you get cool pictures of people, right? We don't even really write the whole letter as much anymore, but we usually have at least a picture, and we get to see how little Timmy has grown or whatever, and we get the chance to, um, in some ways, celebrate the, the coming of Christ in this Christmas season, with people who um, are from all times in our lives, maybe friends that you've had for a really long time or, or friends that you've had for just a while when we get to see their Christmas cards. Of course, this led me down the rabbit hole looking at some of the worst Christmas cards that you can find. Here is the, one of the worst ones um, that I, I have trouble believing this picture is actually real, but the internet said it was real, so like, I'm just going uh, to decide with the internet. Um, this, this next one is, is really good, too. That one it looks more um, real. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, a, a little bit strange, but not as bad as the other one. Um, but yeah, as we get Christmas cards during the year, usually there'll be pictures somewhat like that, and they'll have a message like season's greetings or Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, whatever it is that um, people send to you. And so over these next few weeks, I want us to think about uh, what are the messages that come to us from the birth of Christ, from the story of, of Jesus coming to earth. Because there are things that I know I need every single year. And one of the reasons why I enjoy the Christmas season and one reason why I really enjoyed the Christmas concert that we had last week was the chance for us to, to put our hearts in that space. Because I need to hear the message of Christmas really daily, but the time that we have during the holidays to think about it as collectively people are thinking about it, it gives us a chance to reflect on what Christ's coming means. Lars and Justin talked a little bit last week about how Matthew and Luke, they tell a pretty detailed story of the coming of Christ. That's where we get most of our information about the wise men and shepherds and all of that stuff. And Mark just is the, um, the immediately gospel is what I call it because he just says immediately, he's just telling the story really fast. He doesn't have time for the birth. He just runs into uh, the story of Jesus. And John tells it from an epic perspective. We studied John together uh, in the spring a bit, and he begins by saying that um, in the beginning was the word, and it says it from this epic level. I always think about it like the epilogue to Star Wars, like in a galaxy far, far away, the word came, and there's this unbelievable 
start. But actually in John chapter 3, I think we get a bit of an understanding of um, John. I wouldn't really necessarily call it the birth story, but I think we get a glimpse into um, what Jesus is is communicating about himself in a story that we looked at a little bit together uh, in our series. But from the perspective of Christmas, I think it has uh, some things to offer us. So John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 begins like this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So it's telling us here, the scripture's telling us that there's a Pharisee who is a very important person, um, not only a Pharisee, but a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's in the Jewish ruling council named Nicodemus. And I think if we're honest, Pharisees in Christian churches get pretty bad raps because we just know they're kind of trying to trap Jesus and they're the ones who are really legalistic and keeping the code. But you have to know that a Pharisee would have been one of the most well-respected leaders of that place. And the reason why Pharisees are so concerned about what Jesus is doing is because partly he's overturning things that are really important and sacred to them. And so when it comes to them saying, hey, you know, you really should be careful about this or watch out for that or let me put you in a trap here, they're trying to uphold something really important. So when you see the word Pharisee, try not to just go to like that negative space of these conniving people hanging out on the side of the corner of Jesus' ministry all the time. I want you generally, especially someone like Nicodemus, think of one of the best people that you know, one of the best spiritual religious people that you know. And maybe it's an elder or a minister who really touched your life at one point and was really significant. Think of somebody like that. So Nicodemus is obviously somewhat interested in what Jesus has to offer. So he he says, you know, let me find out about you. What is it that that makes you tick? What do you believe? Because there were different people who would come from time to time who the Jewish establishment was hoping for. They were waiting for this Messiah that was going to set up this earthly kingdom. And so there were people who would come in and out. And so it would be a thing of interest. Okay, I I see that you're doing some things. You're performing some signs. I'm interested in your message. So let me find out about you. And John says that he comes at night and in darkness, which is a really significant thing. And I think he probably literally did that, that he came at night to have this conversation because you wouldn't want to be associated with Jesus because you have to be careful, especially if it affects Um, your position. So likely he would come to have this conversation under the cover of darkness. But John is always playing with the images of light and dark. So not only does he, I think, come at a time of darkness because he doesn't want to be seen by other people. I think John is telling us he is in darkness and he's interested in the light that Jesus has to offer. He wants to have this conversation, even though it really could cost him a lot. So again, he's somebody who is a really good guy, someone who you would want as a church leader, as an elder or a minister. And he says something pretty significant. He says, you know, I can tell that you're from God, which is a pretty unbelievable thing for somebody to say, especially part of the religious establishment to say, you know, there's something about the way that you treat people, the way that you love, the miraculous things that you're doing. I can tell that you are from God. And Jesus then has this extremely frustrating conversation, especially for him. Nicodemus is just left pulling his hair out at moments of this, where he talks about being born again, and Nicodemus is like, how do you get back in your mom's womb? That doesn't make any sense to me. And then in that conversation, Jesus says the verse that likely we all have memorized, maybe the most popular verse in Scripture, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
And this, if you were to say, is either like a bumper sticker version. This is John's bumper sticker version, I would say, of the birth of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now, during the Christmas season, we reflect on the fact that God loved the world so much that God entered in to, to give the gift of his son. That whoever would believe in this, that would pat on their lives after this, that would dedicate their lives to following Jesus, they would have eternal life. I think this is, in a way, John's birth narrative. For God gave his only son. And this conversation continues, which I think is really important. Because I think a lot of times as we think about the birth narratives, we can think of it somewhat passively. We see the story of Mary and think it's just unbelievable. Like, wow, Mary, that is, that is really significant that, that you would um, praise God even as you're in the midst of this really difficult circumstance. And suddenly you have this really hard news to tell your soon-to-be husband. And then Joseph, like, hey, just FYI, just don't divorce her quietly. I know that's maybe your intention, but this is actually for good things. This is why this is going to happen. The shepherds are kind of chilling. It's the night shift. Shepherds, they're not that big of a deal. And they get the message and they're supposed to go and go do this. And so we can see all of these people and think, that's amazing. Like, wow, that's unbelievable faith that Mary exhibits. Unbelievable faith that Joseph exhibits. The shepherds are going a long distance. This is really crazy. That's really awesome. And we can stand by the nativity scene and just say, wow, you know, this is really beautiful and it's significant and obviously it changed human history. But what I think is significant about this conversation with Nicodemus that helps us to consider the birth story a little bit is Jesus doesn't allow Nicodemus to just stay there. His question then really, he kind of gets after him and says, now what are you going to do about it? For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would, would believe in him. When we think of the nativity scene and all these other characters, we can just stand and admire it and be in awe, which is significant and important for us to do. But at some point, the invitation is for us to enter in. To not just know the message of Christmas, but to literally be the message of Christmas. To allow the message that God so loved the world to change us in such a significant way that, that we would be the message of Christmas to the world. That we would find some way to show the love of Christ to people who desperately need it. Because Jesus is going to say some pretty hard stuff. In fact, he says this, which I think is one of the hardest things that Jesus says anywhere um, in the Gospels. He says, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now let's stand and sing after that one, right? That's a, that's a hard message, isn't it? There are churches that I think, and we try to do a good job of this. Sometimes we do a good job, sometimes we don't, that are, are seeker sensitive, that, you know, try to reach out to those who aren't Christians. And if you aren't Christian here today, I'm so happy that you're here and part of this uh, conversation with us. But we have churches that do a great job of reaching out to guests, first-time Christians, first-time believers, and if I'm Jesus, I try to be a little more sensitive. I mean, this guy is coming under the cover of darkness. This guy, I mean, it costs him a lot to even have this conversation, perhaps. And he says something pretty hard to him. This is anti-seeker sensitive here. People love darkness instead of light. And 
Not just because they kind of like it, because their deeds were evil. I mean, that's a hard one. But if we're honest, I think we know that this is true. And not just in people like outside there, not in like the evil people in the world, but that we are capable of evil acts, of sin, of brokenness ourselves. And one of the reasons why I think the message of Christmas is so significant, why I love this story and thinking through it as, as John's message of Christmas is, God so loved the world that he would give his son, and that should cause us to consider the darkness that is inside of us. And every year, we get a chance to come around this message once again and, and maybe consider, okay, how have I been on Team Darkness more than Team Light this year? And what are some things that maybe I want to contribute to in the next year? What are some practices that I want to change? Who's somebody that I need to forgive? Who's somebody that I, I need to just love that God is calling me to reach out to? How could I be on Team Light? Because Jesus calls us all out and says, you know, there is some darkness that we can all choose. That's a hard message, but one that I think we desperately need to hear. And you might be familiar with the, the general statistic that around 50% of marriages in the United States end, end in divorce. The number is actually more like 46%, which isn't that much better. And then in Christian, practicing Christian churches, I, I've heard the number from a study is more around 34%, so that's getting a little bit better perhaps, but that's still one in three. It's not ideal. Nobody on their wedding day stands up and just is hoping that this is going to end in divorce. But it happens. And it's unfortunate. It's sad when it does. And Jesus, I think, is telling us why here, that we can choose darkness, even though we have the best of intentions. And even though we, we try to do what we should, we try to take those steps, even though we have those intentions and those hopes and those dreams, no one would stand and say, I hope this ends in a bad way. I hope someday we're splitting things up with a lawyer. And nobody would say that. But it happens. And Jesus, I think, would say it's because there's evil inside of all of us. We all can be contributors to broken systems. Jesus asks us for honesty. Light has come into the world. And Nicodemus, I'm sitting right here in front of you. But that doesn't mean people are always going to choose light instead of darkness, even the good ones. And Jesus says that hard word, be careful, Nicodemus, watch out, because you're capable of evil. Again, not very seeker sensitive. And you guys seem like really nice people. I don't want to tell you that. But Jesus did. Be careful. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but just, you got to be careful. There is still capability, even in, in us, people who regularly attend church, maybe, and are participants in, in God's kingdom. We're capable of some pretty negative stuff, and we would never want to say the word evil. We have a scale for all this stuff. Level one is, that's not in good taste, right? And level two is, that's not appropriate. Oh, wow, I got really small on there. Level three is, that's outside of my comfort zone. Level four, we're getting a little dangerous. That's just wrong. And then level five is, that's evil. Like, that, that's when we finally maybe get to that point. But 
we would never consider ourselves, those are just like the real, real bad people that are out there in the world, those dangers to society, those people who are, who are really negative. But Jesus invites us all to consider the darkness that is in our heart. And to allow, during the Christmas season, the love of God to work on us a little bit. And maybe that would be a good question for you to ask this week, is just be honest with yourself. Maybe spend some time journaling or over coffee with someone. How have you been part of darkness in this year? Because we all are capable of choosing light or choosing darkness instead of light. And there are seeds in all of us that might just be little things that can grow into negative things, something like indifference or apathy. That's a seed that can grow into loneliness, divisiveness, and hurt. It's just a small decision. Lust is a seed that creates bitterness, separation, and and a split heart. I think increasingly we, we make excuses for ourselves too. We even have a word, hangry is a word we know now, which is I'm hungry, angry. Like, I'm hungry, therefore I have a right to be angry. And Jesus would say, no, you don't. I don't care how hungry you are. And the fact is, you probably don't even know hunger. And if you really have a problem with that, carry a Snickers bar around with you, because that apparently is the cure. I mean, based on the the commercials, it just changes them into amazing people when they're a little bit angry. This invitation that Jesus gives to Nicodemus under the cover of darkness is to realize that The story of Christ's coming is about God so deeply loving the world. And what I am so moved by in this conversation is that Jesus doesn't just leave it with us, you know, having popcorn staring at the nativity scene saying, wow, that was really helpful and awesome. Now do something about it. Now be aware of of your limitations. Be aware of what you're capable of. God so loved the world that at some point, You have to engage in the same way. You have to enter into this story. And the great thing about the Gospel of John is John, I think, shows us Nicodemus entering into that story. Later in John chapter 7, uh, it tells this story about him. Finally, the the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. They were confused. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of you, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this is the mob that knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone with Jesus earlier uh, and was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. So Nicodemus is in this conversation. Now he's at work, and he's not under the cover of darkness. And he awkwardly sticks up for Jesus. You ever had one of those moments where you say something and you're like, oh, did I just say that out loud? Like, perhaps I, perhaps I shouldn't have, have, have said this and entered into this conversation. That is a very dangerous. And they're like, wait, are you with him too? Like, what, what is your deal? And so you see Nicodemus, who at first came in the cover of darkness, is now, in just a brief moment maybe, he, he said, hey, dude, come on. Like, he's not that bad. He's not that much of a danger to us. And everybody's like, hey, what's up with you? Where, where, where were you last night, Nicodemus? Yeah, come to think of it. And you see him entering in to this story. And then finally, in the end of the story of John's gospel, John chapter 19, it says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. 
Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. That was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. But Nicodemus prepares Jesus' body for burial. It was something that you would do to, to a close friend or someone who was significant and important to you. And it's hard to believe that this wouldn't get out and perhaps have direct implications. But at this point, Nicodemus maybe just doesn't even care. Perhaps he's realized that the story of Jesus is worth giving his life to. So you see him at one point in the story pondering, interested in Jesus but not sure, coming under the cover of darkness, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard some good things about him, but I want to hear it from him himself. To saying something, to stick up for him, to eventually acting, to being bold enough to come out of the cover of darkness, to be on the side of the light. And this is the story I believe that every Christmas we are invited into, that we can't just linger on the periphery forever. We can't just be in awe of the faith of Mary and the love of Joseph. We can't just say, you know, praise God on a Sunday and speak those things of belief, but not at some point start to act. To learn in some significant way to give your life away. And Nicodemus, this is just an unbelievable move to... to go and be part of this burial. It's an unreal thing. And perhaps nobody found out about it, but I think it's pretty unlikely since John writes about it. You see the progression of Nicodemus, what it means for him to come into the light, into belief in Christ. It costs him something. We might ask ourselves, what does your faith cost for you? What ways are you part of the light in such a significant way that it costs you something at work or it costs you something in, in your life that it's real, that you are, are showing someone the love of Christ in such a way that it's, it's, there's a substance to it and a weight. What I want you to think through during this Christmas season is what would it look like for you to, to, to give your heart away, to give your love to somebody who needs it during this season? Maybe it's a family that you know that's just going through a lot and you can enter in with, with some gift or something important. Or maybe it's somebody that you want to serve or maybe it's being part of what we're doing this week with Ascensia tonight and then Family Promise this week where we can house homeless families and bless those who are in need during this season. What would it look like for you to, to give your heart away, to actually get involved in this story? Because if we just think of the story of the nativity as something we watch and we admire, we're missing out. For God so loved the world that it does something about the darkness in us. It should change us from the inside out. But Jesus says, you've got to be honest, guys. Let's be real. Nicodemus, I want to be as seeker-sensitive as I can be, but there's some evil in you that you need to work on. I was reading an article about the most popular emojis that people send uh, via text message. And here are the 10 most popular uh, emojis. 
Uh, the number one by far is the crying, laughing till uh, you cry emoji, which I, I find a little bit interesting because uh, I'd say generally that is a, a very drastic exaggeration. I mean, there's only been a few times in my life where I've laughed so hard that I've cried about something, but we are texting that to each other about every little meme that we see. And it's like, yeah, it's a little, little, little severe. I'm not judging you if you send those, but I'm just saying that's a little bit of a, a, a dramatic thing to say like, hey, that was so funny. And like, if I was actually with you, would you laugh till you cried? I don't know. Like, we'd have to have to see that. And the second most popular is, is the heart, the red heart, which gives me a little more faith in humanity. Um, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. But I want you to think, uh, maybe the skull was very surprising to me on there, by the way, of the, of the, of the top 10. The others make sense, but um, the skull was, was a little bit strange. But as I think about the, the heart emoji and the idea that we just, we send this to each other, and you send this to people that you love, and you send this to, to people um, throughout the week, I'm sure. And I just want us to think about how much easier it is to, to text this than it is to actually do it. And you might receive some, some really hard news from a friend, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I'm going in for, for some tests. Please, please pray for me. Or like, you know, I just got this bad news and you'll send this. And it, I think it's, it's saying something, you know, it is generally saying, I think, you know, I, I really do love you and care about you. But at some point during this Christmas season, I hope that you actually think about being this instead of just sending this. That if we all collectively chose, like one person or one individual or one cause that we could give to or something we could volunteer, imagine how much of this we could actually give out to the world. Instead of just texting it and sending it in in a moment, text it, then go do it, right? If you know somebody who is in need of one of these, and you probably know of, of ways that you could enter in and help that person. At some point, we can't just stand by the manger and look and think, oh, it's so beautiful and so cute. At some point, our admiration turns into action. And what we believe about the love of Christ changes how we love other people. I was talking with a friend of mine who's in ministry. He's been in ministry uh, for more years than I have. And I was just asking him, I was like, how do you continue? How do you strive to live out this story? And he said, a few years ago, uh, he had this experience with God. And he's a Church of Christ minister like me. So he's like, I, and I know that sounds weird, but uh, I had this, this experience uh, with God, this spiritual moment. And he said, in that, I can't even fully describe it to you, but I just got to tell you, I just felt very loved by God. And for that moment, I realized that my life wasn't about like the results of my ministry or everything that I was doing. And I was so focused on my own achievements and what was happening and in that experience, I just heard that I was loved. That I'd made some mistakes, that I wasn't perfect, but that I was loved deeply by my Creator. And he said that happened a couple of years ago, and it's changed his ministry significantly. That he experiences first, he tries to first experience the love of God, and then he tries to show other people he said, Brian, I have to be honest, I've been talking about the love of God for all these years. I've been singing about the love of God. I've been telling people about the love of God. But it was the first time that I just dwelt on the fact that God loves me. And that changes how I love the world. That changes my ministry. That changes my heart. It 
at some point you have to believe it yourself and let that change you deep at your core and then reflect it. For God so loved the world that we've got some darkness to deal with in us. Allow the love of God to change reflect outside of you. I hope during this Christmas season you think about entering into the story of Christmas. As Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, he says, for God so loved the world, but just FYI, Nick, you're capable of some dark things. But may you strive to walk in the light of May you strive to choose love in the way that you live. May you learn to truly give your heart away. As we see the progression of Nicodemus, from just having a conversation to to piping up and saying something to eventually preparing Jesus' body for burial, may we truly be challenged by that message as well. To not be bystanders to the story of Jesus, but to enter in. Let's close with with a word of prayer. And as we begin, I want you to think of someone or a cause that you believe in that you might be challenged by God to give your heart to. The message that Jesus has for Nicodemus is light has come. And now what is it that you will do about it? Think about maybe it's a neighbor that you have, someone that lives close to you in your apartment. Maybe it's a friend who's experienced a great loss and you know you need to go spend some time with him or her during this season. Maybe it's a cause that you believe in that you need to give some volunteer hours to or some, some money to. One thing I think the Christmas story teaches us is that we have the ability to change the world. And it's moments where people have acted in love that have significantly changed your life. I hope that you will find ways to reflect the love of God, to give your heart away. If we all collectively played a little part, imagine the way that the world would change. pray. God, as we think about the person that you've put on our heart as a cause, the thing that you've called us to do, may we recognize that there's going to be a struggle because of greed, because of selfishness, because of our ability to put our needs before others. There's going to be darkness that will try to quench that light. May we choose to enter into the story of Christmas. May we participate in some significant way to show your love to the world. God, help us as we strive to make a difference, to love that person or, or, that, or that thing or that cause as we think about what you've called us to. May we allow the dark voices 
to melt away as we pursue the love that you've called us to. Father, help us to give our hearts away. For son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.